0: I don't know about you guys, but I want to keep on singing. That was awesome. You didn't have to agree with that. Anyways, thank you, Evan. Well, good morning, and uh, let me welcome you all again to Tomball Bible Church. If uh, you happen to be visiting with us uh, this morning, my name is Carl Carr, and I'm one of the teachers here at Tomball Bible Church, and uh, I'm going to be delivering this morning's uh, sermon or teaching uh, it's our practice here for our senior pastor, Skeet Alderson, to deliver about two thirds of the teachings on Sunday mornings, and for other ministry leaders and uh, TBC missionaries to deliver roughly the other one third or so of the teachings. In, in this way, our body gets to hear from the uh, ministry team as a whole, and uh, Skeet's also afforded more time to take part in other aspects of ministry. Uh, as well. So uh, beginning last week on Easter, uh, Skeet kicked off a a new teaching series entitled Our Only Hope, uh, What Every Christian Longs For. And he examined last Sunday during Easter the significance of Christ's resurrection. And today we're going to continue this series by examining this morning the significance of life after death for believers of today. And then next week, Skeet's actually going to continue on this uh, topic. And so with that being said and done, let's go ahead and uh, we'll begin our study this morning. And let's go ahead and and just open up with a a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we come before you with just great anticipation, Lord, because we know that every time we open your word of truth, Lord, that uh, we can encounter... uh, God the Father, the Son Himself. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that You would quiet our minds and hearts about uh, everything that's going on in our lives and help us to concentrate on Your message that You have in Your Word. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that nothing that I will do or say would interfere with the message that You have for Your people. And we just ask that You bless this time of study, Lord, for it's in Your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so with the underpinnings of our only hope as uh, the focus of our series, I I wanted to begin this morning with a definition of hope. The the dictionary tells us that to hope is to look forward to with confident expectation. So if I have a confident expectation that a bridge will hold my weight, then I cross that bridge without fear of falling in the river. I I say this to underscore the point that if we are looking forward with a confident expectation, then this hope will drive not only our decisions regarding whatever issue, but our confidence in those uh, decisions as well. Now, if we expand this definition of hope, if you think about it, everyone in this world has an ultimate hope or a confident expectation in something that drives the direction of and shapes the character of their life. So with that being said, the question that arises immediately then is, Is what is our hope? What is it that drives the direction of our lives and shapes the character of our life? Or put another way, what's the hope of people in our culture? What is it that directs and characterizes the lives of people around us uh, today? And when I thought about this question in in preparing for this uh, teaching, uh, it 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 became clear to me that it's kind of an easy one to answer because all you have to do is turn on the television and watch the commercials, right? And they'll tell you what our hope is. If you just turn on the television, you can see in vivid display what our culture believes is our hope. And they can generally divide it into three rough categories of wealth, youth, or image. And in regards to wealth... If you turn that on, you'll see the sales pitch couched in terms such as financial security. Maybe as estate planning or maybe even as retirement savings. But the crux of the matter that they're selling is they all seem to center around getting enough money so that the crowning achievement of every life is reaching a point where you have enough money so that you no longer have to work and can spend the rest of your life in self-centered forms of amusement. Uh Piper, in in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, was appalled that the goal of every Christian uh, was to make it to the point that you could walk on the beach and collect seashells. So, our hope, then, the commercials tell us, is in financial gain. If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19 and 20, and it tells us this in contrast. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, another thing that offers hope in TV commercials that you're going to see is every form or method that's really aimed at preserving your youth, from exercise equipment to vitamins to surgeries or special foods and medicines. Uh, this morning when I turned on the uh, Weather Channel, Valerie Bertinelli was telling us that we need uh, to put cantaloupe on our face. But anyway, <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. But So if, if we could just somehow live to be 100, and still act like we're 20, everything will be just awesome forever and ever. Yet, despite all our efforts, we all seem to still get older, right? Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. It tells us this about our life as believers. So, per, I'm sorry, uh, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 of Second Corinthians. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is doing what? It's wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then lastly, it seems that much of our culture has placed its hope in this ideal of fame or image or some kind of means of acceptance by other people. Uh, This, the advertising industry, is just leaped upon whereby they sell you everything based upon the premise that this or that product will make you admired or improve your social standing, thereby giving you more friends or influence or power. Yet... King Solomon, the wealthiest and most powerful man of his era, at the pinnacle of his power and influence, he said this in Ecclesiastes one fourteen. He said, I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So it seems evident that our culture has adopted an ultimate hope in things that ultimately disappoint. So, what happens when the hopes of our culture begin to unravel for us individually? What happens when this unravels if we've bought this? Well, as this happens, you've got to think to yourself, man, I, I have only one life and I'm blowing it. Or, or maybe when it all unravels, we think to ourselves, man, all that suffering and work and sacrifice was for nothing. Or, or maybe every day we wake up with the underlying fear that, man, If I mess up today, I could lose everything that I've been working for and hoping for. And and when you live in this kind of pressurized paradigm, we naturally then are going to eventually experience feelings of unmet expectations. We're going to have feelings of betrayal, frustration, fear, doubt, and and disillusionment. And, And I think this word disillusionment is the one that seems to fit our culture the most right now. And mainly because we've placed our hope in an illusion. So we see over and over that the Bible clearly and repeatedly warns against people hoping in things of the world and the futility associated with these pursuits. But you might be surprised by what Paul has to say about this futility. I want you to look in uh, Romans chapter 8. Turn to verse 20 and 21. So, Romans 8, verse 20, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility. That's not new news to any of us. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, Paul makes two points here in this passage. First, he says that people who have put their hopes in the things of this world, be it money, vitality, image, or anything else, they have put themselves in bondage to the actual things that they desire. Second, and this is the one that surprises some folks, second, Paul says that for those placing their hope in the things of this world, it is God himself who actually subjects them to futility. Why? Because by doing so, he hopes that we will be set free from the bondage that we have created so that we can experience the freedom of a life in Christ. So, if our culture has it all wrong, what should be our hope? What should be our hope as believers? What is the thing that should shape every aspect of our lives? Well, Scripture tells us that our hope should be in the coming resurrection and our life after death with the lord. And so if you're sitting there you may ask, come on, do, do you mean we should live our entire life just waiting to die? Is that what you're saying? How is that hope in any way? How can the afterlife be our hope in this life? I want to share with you three illustrations <clears throat> from my life that I think will help clarify what I'm getting at when I say that our hope as believers is in the afterlife. So some of my friends are squirming because they never know who I'm going to talk about. But <laughs> illustration number one, here we go. Back in uh, 1986, I was at Infantry Officer Advance Camp at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Now, it was in the summer, and the entire camp was designed to push you and stress you under lousy conditions to see if you could lead under pressure or you would crack under pressure. So, did I mention it was really hot, okay? And we walked and we worked and we trained for about 16 hours per day. And we slept on the ground or in foxholes. And we were made to function for long periods of time uh, without sleep. I remember having classes where the entire class would just stand because if we sat down, we would immediately fall asleep uncontrollably. So we would stand, and if we went to stagger, it would, it would wake us up. And, and we did this all the while by being verbally abused and degraded by people who'd slept a lot. And so... <laughs> and, and we knew they had, because we could smell that they showered. And so... <clears throat> now, it, it was only a 16-week uh, period, uh, but it felt like an eternity, I'm telling you. And I and most of my platoon had lost about 20 pounds in the first eight weeks. And it was, so it was miserable. And and quite a few of us guys, we dropped out or fell ill, got injured. But our ranks shrank a little bit in those first eight weeks or so. However, a a very funny thing happened about two to three weeks before the end of the camp. Uh, See, the conditions never changed. If anything, they got worse. Uh, but the mood, among all of us new lieutenants, began to improve, and the, dy- the, the dy- grind that we were going through and all this ridiculousness, uh, it almost... Uh, we, we had this saying as we neared the end of camp, and it went something like this. If there was, say, 11 more days left to the end of camp, we'd walk by each other and say, hey, only 10 more days and a wake-up. Uh, we can our heads for that long right and that's what we'd say to each other so if there was six days left and whatever we were doing or doing in the mud or whatever we were doing we look at each other and say you know six more days and a we'll wake up and that came out a rallying cry We're motivated at that point um, what was happening there what was happening in Ooh, we're good Same. Well, what was happening there was this principle. This principle is that suffering and trials are much more bearable if we know that they're temporary and will soon end. Let's go on to illustration number two. I like this mic. When I get your attention, I can do yeah. that. And so, <clears throat> so, when I graduated from med school, I began a, a three-year residency program in pediatrics at Brook Army Medical Center there. And in residency, the residents are used essentially as a slave, as a slave labor force. and. And and so we had to run on little play, little sleep, and absolutely no appreciation. And, And that's the life of a resident. However, we residents were willing to do this, and we were even thankful for it because we knew that we only had three short years to learn and experience as much as we possibly could before we were set loose on your children. So... So we endured these hours and we endured these thankless tasks because we knew that this misery was going to produce um, a competent pediatrician or a more competent pediatrician, maybe is a better word. And and that's what made it all worth it. And we could even see as we went through this program, our knowledge base and our confidence uh, grow the longer we were there. Well, what was happening? Well, what was happening was this principle – The principle that suffering and frustration and disappointment and even sacrifice are more bearable if we know that these trials are producing something worthwhile. Illustration number three, my poor wife. Um, My wife uh, plays uh, tennis on some leagues around here. And she is a huge professional tennis fan as well. And so by default, I've become a tennis fan as well because we watch a lot of tennis. And so I become this fan. And so Carrie and I will watch a lot of tennis together. Now, if we have recorded a tennis match, which you usually have to do uh, because they come on at a lot of time, but if you've recorded a tennis match, Carrie will only watch a tennis match that we have recorded if she doesn't know the outcome. Otherwise, she says what? She says it spoils it for her, right? I'm not wired quite the same. Now, because of the Internet, it's quite easy to find the results of a match that I like and to secretly find the results before I watch the match. And I do this all the time. Because... If the player I like wins, then I'm going to watch the match and enjoy it. And if the player I like loses, I don't want to waste my time watching a match that's going to eventually disappoint me. Do you all think this way? I don't know. Anyway. Now, not only that, is if I know the outcome, I can watch this match with real insight and can share with my my wife very keen observations about the match. I I can say insightful things like, you know, if this guy doesn't get his first serve percentage up, it might cost him the match. Now, you know, this only works if my wife doesn't know that I know the final results of the match. Otherwise, I just have to sit there and not say anything. So why do I like to watch this way? Well, I... If I know the results, I I can watch this match with special insight and without doubt or fear that my player might lose, okay? And what I'm expressing is a simple principle. If you are certain of the eventual outcome, then the experience is free of doubt and fear and it allows you a unique viewpoint during the experience, right? Okay. So from these um, examples, let me just restate these three principles. Principle number one, suffering and trials are much more bearable if we know that they are temporary and will soon end. Principle number two, suffering and frustration and disappointment and even sacrifice are more bearable if we know that these trials are producing something worthwhile, something of value. Principle number three, when certain of the eventual outcome then the experience is free of doubt and fear and allows you a new unique viewpoint during the experience. Okay, keep those three principles in mind. And I want to now examine several passages of Scripture in regards to the biblical view of the afterlife. So turn with me first to Luke chapter 23 and go all the way down to verse 43. It's a short passage. So it says in this passage, uh, as Jesus is is hanging on the cross, and and one of the men being crucified next to him pleads for mercy, and he says there in uh, verse 43, 42, it says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And listen to what Jesus says there in verse 43. He says, and he said to him, truly, I say to you, You will be with me in paradise. So several points I'd like to make from this very short passage. If you are a believer by faith alone in Christ alone, the moment you die, you will be ushered into the presence of the Lord in a real place as a real individual that recognizes other individuals. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot else about what we're doing until the resurrection when we inherit resurrected imperishable bodies. However, heaven or or paradise with the Lord in a glorified state as individuals with Christ at the center of our new existence will be experienced the moment that we draw our last breath. Amen? So regardless of what eschatological gymnastics you adhere to, had to practice that. <laughs> we know for certain from Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Hallelujah. This simple assurance for believers is a complete game changer. And when you think about it, it should impact almost every aspect of the life that you now live. Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 1. And go down to verse 19. We're going to read through verse 26. So Philippians 1, verse 19 through 26. Paul says here in this letter to the church in uh, Philippi, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to see you again. Okay, in this very rich passage, Paul makes a statement that is shocking to many people but from the believer's perspective, should make perfect sense. He, he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. He says here essentially that this life here is all about Christ for him as long as God leaves him here. Paul says that even though it is better to be with Christ, his life has purpose and meaning, and it will not be lived in pursuit of anything else. And then look, when it's all over... He'll be with the Lord. So when Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain, he's not being suicidal. No, what, what he is saying is that since I belong to the Lord, I cannot lose. Therefore, for Paul, we once again see this very first principle that we discussed previously from those examples, namely that suffering and trials were bearable and even joyful because he knew that they were very temporary compared to eternity with the Lord. Turn with you now to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And go all the way down to verse 50. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now, Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church in Corinth, and some of them had become confused about family members that had gone ahead and died. And they were worried that they were somehow going to miss the resurrection. And so Paul writes this letter under this context. And he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul here again pushes further this concept to the believers in Corinth that In view of the afterlife with Christ, death loses its power over us. Therefore, we can live knowing that service for the Lord, striving as a disciple to obey the Great Commission according to the biblical example, it will never be in vain. And we know that what we do as a disciple impacts eternity. And our suffering and our sacrifice is worth it. Because it's producing something of lasting value. It's not in vain. And so Paul illustrates this again. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19 and 20. In his letter to the church there. And these are people, get in mind the context of this. When he writes this, these are the people that Paul had personally discipled. It says in Thessalonians, he discipled them with prayer and tears from house to house. He worked hard discipling these people. And Paul says, verse 19, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? He says, What are we going to be proud of when I stand before the Lord? And look at his answer there in verse 20. He says, Is it not you. For you are our glory and joy. So you see here this second principle that we discussed earlier at work once again, and that is that the sufferings, disappointments, and even sacrifices of this life are more bearable and can even be joyful if we know that they will result in something worthwhile. So turn with me. One more passage here. Second Corinthians chapter five. We're going to look at verses six through nine. Paul says again to the church in Corinth, he says. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. In this passage, Paul explains that a life in Christ is one lived from a different perspective. He says that in view of our destination after this life, we can live this life without fear and doubt, dictating the direction of our life. Christians can serve God fully because, in essence, we have nothing to lose. As a result, we're freed from the bondage that's actually characteristic of this culture. And and this gives us courage for what we do as believers and as disciples. So we see here the third principle that we examined before, that if you were certain of the eventual outcome then the experience is free of doubt and fear and allows you a unique viewpoint during the experience. And so let me go over these three truths from Scripture for the believer in regards to the afterlife. Number one, in view of the afterlife, believers in Christ can bear the suffering and trials of life with courage because we know that they are very temporary and will soon be over when we are with the Lord. In view of the afterlife, number two, those in Christ are are willing to suffer and sacrifice because we know that these trials are producing something worthwhile and of lasting value. And number three, as believers, our view of the afterlife gives us a joyful perspective of the struggles of this life and frees us from the bondage of fear and doubt. So these truths, these perspectives, as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through God's Word, that's actually part of what Paul describes when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. As believers, as a a new creation, we see the world from a vastly different viewpoint than the majority of our culture. Therefore, we move and we act and we place value in a way completely different than we did before we were believers. And so, in effect, the Holy Spirit has changed us to such a degree that we're actually a completely different person. We're a new creation. And that is why any ministry that tries to sell you on a gospel that's, Central focus is helping you chase the desires of this world is a false gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. I don't care how motivational he is and how cool his stage is. He's preaching a false gospel and he is a false prophet. The television channels, they are full of these false prophets that are lining their pockets by playing to our own selfish desires and hopes. Always, always, always at the core of the true gospel of Christ is our hope in the resurrection of Christ and an afterlife in the presence of Jesus. And that's our only hope. You will not find our hope in this world. So let me just wrap up this morning's study by just saying that uh, the purpose of this message, I I believe, was really twofold. Uh, First of all, if... If you are a believer and your life is characterized by fear and doubt or even disillusionment, then this message was meant to remind you that those feelings of despair are rooted in directing your hope in the wrong direction. This message then is meant to remind you and hopefully encourage you that we will be with the Lord very soon. And everything else by comparison is light and momentary. And that frees you to live a very victorious life regardless of your earthly circumstances. And, And some of you this morning, you're sitting there and I know some of you and your earthly circumstances stink. But what does Scripture tell us and reassure us of? That the minute we draw our last breath, none of this will matter. Right? We'll be in the presence of the Lord. And... On the flip side of that, if some of you are thinking, hey, this life's pretty good and Satan has enticed you to fall in love with this life. Then I want to tell you that the moment you draw your last breath and if you go to be with the Lord, no one's going to talk you into coming back. (laughs) So I want to encourage you this morning. Stop looking around for hope and instead look to Jesus. The sermon this morning on our view of the afterlife also had a a second purpose, and that is for those that are here and have never trusted in Christ. Uh, Perhaps you are here because the things in which you've placed your hope have let you down and life has just become what seems like an exercise in futility. And if, and if that is the case, then Scripture actually says that this happened to you on purpose. It's not to punish you, but it was to bring you to the place where God can free you from the bondage of the desires of this world and make you a new creation. You can be a new person and the Holy Spirit can change your entire outlook on this life when the Holy Spirit enables you to turn to Him. You can be truly free for the first time if you trust Jesus and you put your hope in him and in the resurrection to come. So let me just close this morning by saying this. If these words from Scripture have rung true to you this morning, and if you want to know more about this gospel of assurance and peace, then let me invite you to contact me or any of the elders our, or our pastor Uh, We'll all be around after the service, and our contact information is in that uh, program that you have. Let us know, and it would be our joy to help in any way we can if you desire to be a new creation, to see life differently. Uh, Let me just extend the same invitation to believers and members of the body here if you're struggling and fear and doubt and feelings of utility or weighing, I'm sorry, of futility are weighing you down, don't let that stay. Let us pray with you and walk with you as well. So as the worship team comes forward this morning, let's just go ahead and uh, let's draw a line there, and I'm going to close our time in prayer. Lord, we uh, come before you just acknowledging that the source of our despair is often rooted in our hope in other things, in the things of this world. But Lord, I just pray that for those that are here this morning, your words of assurance and hope would just wash over us and give us peace and courage in a world that sometimes seems so out of control. Lord, I just pray that you would remind us daily that placing our hope in anything other than you will result in absolute hopelessness. So we look forward today, Lord, to one day just being with you and leaving the troubles of this world behind and being part of the resurrection. But until then, based on this perspective of the afterlife, Lord, that you would give us the confidence and the courage to live as your disciples. For it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen.